0: greetings everyone second bible reading for today is from daniel chapter six it pleased darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them one of whom was daniel the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king may not lose may not suffer loss now daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom at this the administrator and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against daniel in his conduct of government affairs but they were unable to do so they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent finally this man said we will never find any basis for charge against this man Daniel unless he has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrator and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisor, and the governors have all agreed that the king should issue and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next thirty days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or man except to you o king would you be would be thrown into the lion's den the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the person which cannot be repealed then he said to the king daniel who was one of the exiles from judah pays no attention to you o king or to the decree you put in writing he still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or decree that the king issued can be changed. So the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, "May your God, who you served continually, rescue you." A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the ring of the of his noble, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep at the first sight of dawn the king got up and hurried to the lion's den when he came near the den he called to daniel in an anguish voice daniel servant of the living god has your god whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions daniel answered, o king live forever my god sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions They have not hurt me because i was found innocent in his sight nor have i ever done any wrong before you o king the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift daniel out of the den and when daniel was lifted from the den no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his god at the king's command the men who had falsely accused daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with the wives and children. And before they reached the fall of the den, the lion overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations and men of every language throughout the land, May you propose greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the Word of God.
1: Good morning again and a warm welcome to all of you and especially those of you who are here for the very first time. Uh, We're so glad you are here with us and and just another plug to the newcomer's lunch. Uh, If you're new, even for the first time, do join us for that. We'd love to share lunch with you. Um, It is our pattern. We work through scripture and so it's always worth listening as we hear from God with the Bible open. So if you do have your Bibles, do keep it open to Daniel 6. Let's pray. Lord God, as we consider this story from long ago, teach us the lesson we must learn for us today as we seek to live our lives in honour of Christ, unashamed of him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I would like you to reflect on the span of your life, however long that span is. For some of us, you're still teenagers. For some of us, in our 20s. Some of us, midlife crisis, some of us a lot more senior. Think about the span of your life and if you were to condense your life in only a few pages, in only a few chapters, what would you pick as the defining moments of your life? Perhaps the first day of school, perhaps your graduation, first day of work, first relationship, first job, perhaps it's your retirement, But now I want you to think about the span of your life again. And I want you to now specifically pick out those moments that define you as a Christian. When you were unwavering in your faith. When you were uncompromising in what you stood for and you would not compromise. What would those stories be? What would you pick out that would define you as a believer? Perhaps it may be your baptism, the moment when you, in front of your family and friends, declared, I'm a sinner, saved by grace, saved by the love of Jesus Christ. Perhaps it was that moment in the classroom when you stood alone as the only believer. Under all that massive peer pressure, you stood out alone. Or perhaps it was in the office during the debate of same-sex marriage. It was so easy to remain silent. Some of your Christian friends just remained silent. But you spoke out on what you thought God's design for sexuality is. What will be recorded down that would define you as a believer? Well, in a sense, that's what we have here in the book of Daniel so far. We only get a few snippets of his life. A few of the defining moments that defined him as the man of God. You see, remember in chapter 1, he was only a teenager. A teenager brought from Jerusalem to serve in the courts of Babylon. Only a teenager, chapter 1. And now, only a few chapters later, he's an old man. If we were impressed with him as a teenager, his biggest test was yet to come. And now by chapter 6, he was perhaps in his 80s at this point. He's lived in Babylon for about 70 years, and now he faces the lions. You could never have imagined that as a teenager working in the courts of Babylon, but yet to see at the very end of your life that was your biggest test. Now what that should already highlight to us if we just look at the life of Daniel himself and as we reflect on our own lives, perhaps there's a point there we need to hear. Perhaps our biggest test in life is also yet to come. Perhaps our biggest test in life is yet to come. To think that my hard work as a Christian was when I was a teenager. Well, that would be so wrong. You see, there's no complacency if we consider ourselves a Christian today. There is no complacency as I grow old as a Christian. To grow old and to think I can just sail through the rest of my life and it will be easy. Not at all. And it must not be. At our seniors event just the other week, it was a lovely time in the morning with many of you there. We reflected on what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. You see, Paul, even as he grew older, he worked even harder. He went towards the end with zeal for God. Because just like it was for Daniel, our greatest test is perhaps yet to come. And so what we see here is really a pattern we see for many Christians. Persecuted, but he must persevere. For he ultimately believed that God will preserve his life. Persecuted, he persevered because God will preserve him. So first we see in this story, with the story of Daniel... He was persecuted. Now, he was persecuted not because he was a troublemaker. He's not one of those guys you just can't stand because he's always a nuisance and causing trouble. But he was persecuted simply and purely because of his faith. And behind that persecution were these satraps or they were governors, administrators. They were scheming. They were scheming cunningly trying to get rid of this guy. But how do you get rid of a guy, a man who was of great integrity and one who had the trust of the king? How do you get rid of such a person? Well, that was who Daniel was. He was a man you could not fault. He was a man of integrity, of honesty, of diligence. See, He's like the one in the office who would never cook the books or fudge the numbers in the accounts. Always did the right thing. He's the one in the office who would Never turn the blind eye to the unethical practices all the other businesses are doing, but he would not. Instead, he would be the one who would speak out about it. He's the one who will never take a bribe. And that's why he, with Daniel in verse 3, the king planned to set him over the whole realm. I mean, you just think about this guy. He's in his 80s and he was about to be made prime minister. And so, how do you bring down a man of such integrity? Well, you can't bring him down by bribing him or tempting him. That just won't work. You can't bring him down by accusing him because there was nothing to accuse him of. He was spotless. He was blameless. There was no fault in his character. And so how do you bring down such a man? Well, you can only bring him down if he remained faithful and a man of integrity. You can only bring him down because of his faith. And that's what they said. Look at verse 5 with me now. They said, We will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against concerning the law of his God. Now, at this point, I think it's worth just pausing and reflecting. If we reflect on the life of Daniel and how he was perceived by even his enemies, I want us all to now ask ourselves, Can I be described... As such a man or woman trustworthy in the eyes of the world faultless in the eyes of the world when the watching world looks upon my life when my friends when my classmates when my colleagues when my neighbors look upon my life what is it that they will see now the reason why I want us to pause and just reflect on that point is because I wonder whether Christians And the churches at large get such a bad rap, get such a bad name, because of the inconsistent character of Christians. Where to blame? Where to blame for it? I mean, the people who give Christ a bad name are often those who follow Christ. And that must not be so. And so, reflecting on your own life and your own heart... If you call yourself a Christian, you follow Jesus, but you're a lazy person, you're one of those annoying troublemakers, busybodies, gossiper, slanderer, irresponsible, dishonest. It doesn't just reflect badly on you, it reflects badly on your Saviour, Jesus Christ. And that must not be so. Instead, at least at this point, the lesson for us is our lives must be so attractive to even the watching world that they have nothing to accuse us of. And the only cause of his suffering, here we see, was because of his faith, not because of his character. Can't bribe him, can't accuse him, but I hate your message. I hate the message you proclaim. I hate it when you say there is only one true God that is so intolerant. I hate it when you say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Or how dare you say, how I choose to live my life is not in accord with God. Or how do you share, how do you dare to share a message of intolerance is so bigoted. You see, if you are hated not because of your character, it is faultless. But if you're hated hater because of the message you proclaim, that's persecution. And that's what we see here. In fact, it's what we continue to see all around the world. And it is happening even today. Not only in the parts of the world where it's blatantly in front of their faces, but even here. You see, the passing of the Change or Suppression Practices Prohibition Bill We've spoken about this many times. It is serious, and I want to bring it to the forefront of your mind once again, because we'll see the ramifications of this in time. It is the government's way of saying, I do not like what you Christians teach about gender, about humanity, about sexuality. Do you know that VCAT is now empowered to seize documents because of this law? Do you know that? Do you know that VCAT is now empowered to force you to attend re-education programs because we don't believe what you teach about gender and sexuality? Did you know that that is the case because of this law? And your prayers can be scrutinised. You're not free to pray whatever you want or discuss whatever you want. You're only free as long as it fits with the government's agenda. That's the sad and tragic reality of life now in Victoria. And that's why last week at our assembly, the assembly is the body of leaders in our denomination, in our state, which means every minister of all the churches and a representative elder from all those churches we got together, and we passed a motion. The motion was to consider the legal ramifications of this bill and the risk it will be for Christians, all Christians, In our churches to remain faithful, and how we will provide support from our denomination. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that that is what is happening? Prayers scrutinize, but it sounds so much like what we see here in Daniel 6. Because what did they do to try to bring him down? They didn't like what he was proclaiming, they didn't like his message nothing to fault about his character and so what did they do well it sounds like this king had no clue and was so easily manipulated and cornered oh king let's set a rule let's just say there is to be no one in the entire empire who can pray to anyone apart from you for 30 days and the king maybe just not thinking so australian thinking well maybe that's that's a pretty good idea And so the satraps go, well, king, just sign here. And he goes ahead and signs it. What's that like? It's, It's called hook, bait, and sinker. He swallowed it all. And so Daniel, he was targeted. He was persecuted. But what did he do? Well, he persevered. He persevered in doing good. He did not compromise. He was unwavering, just like how he was as a teenager. But now he faces his toughest test yet. But you can imagine, put yourself in the shoes of Daniel. You can imagine the many, many ways in which he could justify himself out of praying. Just have a think. What are the many reasons he could have put up to justify? Of course, he knew they were just trying to trap him, they were just trying to corner him, force him to fall into the trap if he continued to pray. And so he could have justified by saying, well, why should I let them catch me out? I know they're just out to get me. It's none of their business. Well, maybe for the next 30 days, I'll pray at different times. I'll pray at times where they will not see me or find me. Or maybe I'll just pray silently inside. They will not know. I'll just change my practices. Or maybe because I've been a prayer for so many decades already, God should be happy enough. I've banked up a lot of prayers, a, p- a month of not praying. Well, God should be okay with that. He could have justified it that way. Or he could have justified by saying, I'm an old man now. I cannot face any more trials, let alone the lions. Surely life should be easy and I should retire. Or what's the point of dying when, I was, when I'm about to be made prime minister? I can do so much more for God if I stayed in that power, position of power. I mean, you can imagine how he could have justified his way out of changing his practice. But if Daniel were to give in to any one of those reasons, what type of man would he show himself to be? Well, it would have meant that he would not have been able to, they would not have been able to succeed in now Daniel, but it would have meant that his decades of faithful, uncompromising commitment to God, decades, would have been compromised in an instant. He would have undone his years of witness to the only true God. It would be like running a marathon your whole life, but before the finish line, you trip over yourself and you don't pass. This was his toughest test yet. And he was not going to fail this test. And so when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went off to pray. Now, we mustn't think here that he did this out of defiance. You know you know what that's like? Because I'm not allowed to, I'm going to do it just to make a point. I remember I was a bit like that as a younger man. Just acted out in defiance. I'll make a point. You don't allow I'm going to do it. But that's not Daniel here. Not acting out in defiance. Listen carefully. Look at verse 10 with me. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem. Now, why? It wasn't to show those on the streets. It was because he was longing for God to restore his kingdom. Praying towards Jerusalem. And perhaps the content of his prayer we'll see in chapter 9 in a few weeks' time. And so, open toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks to his God, and listen, just as he had done before. Do you notice that? Just as he had done before. Nothing changed. A new law, nothing changed. A new edict, I would not change my behavior. He continued to do what he was always doing. He remains steadfast and faithful to God. the threat of lions will not stop him. And again, it must make us think, do we change our behavior depending on who we are with or where we are? At home, I'm sure many of us, we say grace, we pray with our families, we give thanks to God. When we're out at the restaurants, we'll say grace if it's amongst Christians, for sure. Someone pray. Yeah, let's pray. But if we're with our colleagues, if we have non-Christians who visit us for a meal, if we're with our friends, oh, let's just keep it to myself. Or do you change your teachings, your convictions, because increasingly we see how unpopular the Christian doctrines are do we change and water down our teachings about there is only one true God and all others are false do we change that do we change the teaching about the depravity of human sin do we change what we believe about the sanctity of human life what we remain believing about abortion and euthanasia even though it is legal? Do we change God's good design for humanity and sexuality because the world says otherwise? Do we change the fact that there is only one Savior and there's no other way? Do I change or do I be like a Daniel, continue to do just as I have done before? And so perhaps as an aside, if you've been coming to this church for a while, you would know by now, it is our conviction that we are here each week as Christians, not to hear the opinions of men or women, but to hear what God has to say. Which means it is our conviction that we always teach the Word of God. And it is our aim to teach the whole counsel of God. And so what we've been doing in the past we will continue to do. And so when we come across difficult passages, controversial passages, we don't skip it, we don't skim over it, but we teach it and we sit under it. A couple of weeks ago when I was on study leave, I met with a group of pastors from different states, some from Queensland, some from New South Wales. They were so shocked to hear what happened in Victoria with the passing of that bill. They were shocked. They asked me, well, you're a pastor. They're all pastors. They asked me, you're a pastor in Victoria. What will you do now? How would you answer that? What will you do now? I said to them, it means that we'll have to do what is illegal. Shocking to hear, isn't it? It means we'll have to do what is illegal. The general moderator of our denomination, Peter Barnes, he said in light of the passing of this bill, He said, it is right for Christians to defy the governing authorities, such as when King Darius exceeded his God-given authority. Daniel did as he had previously done. We don't change our convictions. We don't change our beliefs. We don't change our practices. We do just as we have done before. And so here, Daniel, he prays. He goes on his knees and he prays. Now, perhaps the picture we have in our mind is meant to be different to what we remember from the pictures in the children's Bible stories. You know what they're like? The window wide open and people along the streets seeing Daniel on his knees praying. It, it, It perhaps wasn't like that. Because, you see, the windows towards the east was to allow a bit of sun in, but not too much because it would get very hot, but they were up high, so you won't be able to see from the streets. And so how did these guys find out that Daniel was was, uh, praying? Well, they were like a group of thugs. They knew when he was praying, and they as a group went for him, invaded the privacy of his home. Look at verse 11. Then these men went as a group, Perhaps it shows they were too scared to go alone. And found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. And so they found him. They, they caught him out. They won. Or did they win? Well, at least they thought so. So they go to the king. Hey, king, didn't you sign this edict? That if anyone prays to anyone else apart from you, O oh, king. Well, the king says, well, of course, and it stands. And then verse 13. They said to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles. Now, isn't it interesting? They call Daniel not the next to be prime minister, but this Judean exile, perhaps to, to put him down. But I reckon perhaps it shows that Daniel, even though he was in exile for about 70 years, his life was so distinct that he remained looking like a Judean exile. His heart was still longing for home. His heart was still longing for, come the kingdom of God. And so, verse 13, Daniel, one of the in exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed, for he prays three times a day. Now, how did the king react? Well, he reacted the way you would react when you've been snookered, when you've been tricked. I mean, he was the most powerful man in the land. But he had no power at all to do what was right. Isn't that ironic? And perhaps hoping that something miraculous would happen, he says to Daniel, verse 16, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. And so even Darius knew that this Daniel, he was not going to compromise, not for no king, not for anyone. And then we read on, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. Now, when you reflect on that story, you can't help but see the parallels between the story of Daniel at this point and the story of Jesus Christ. The story of Darius, the powerful ruler, and the story of Pontius Pilate, the powerful governor. Both so powerful. But yet powerless to do what was right. And both in their cowardice, condemned an innocent man to death. And just as the stone was placed over the mouth of the den, a stone was rolled in front of the tomb of Jesus. They were persecuted. But they both persevered in faithfulness. Now, why do you think Daniel was able to do that? So resolved in his convictions... So firm on the feet he stood. Well, ultimately because he knew that God would preserve his people. You see, if you believe that God is God, there's no higher power than God. He is the God of the universe who can be above him. If you believe that, then you don't even need to fear the lions. And then that night, Darius, he couldn't sleep. I mean, how could you? He was your most... Faithful and loyal subject, but you've condemned him to the lions. And so, in desperation, we read he got up at the first light of dawn, rushed to the den, and cried out in anguish. Verse 19 Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Now, I just find that quite interesting that he will be talking to a den of lions. I mean, Daniel, if he was eaten, there will be no response. But what did he find? God preserved his own. Verse 22. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. They haven't heard me, for I was found innocent before him. And also, I have not committed a crime against you, my king. Now, again, I, I can't help but see the parallels. Do you see that? Between this story and the story of Jesus. As Daniel came out of the den escaping the clutches of death vindicated as innocent and so jesus came out of the tomb overcoming even death itself and vindicated as righteous god preserved his own and so at the end the tables were turned the enemies were thrown in and we can't say that the lions were not hungry because they overpowered them and crushed their bones even before they reached the bottom And the response of Darius here is worth reflecting on. It's the only right response when you are confronted with the living God. Who else can do such a thing unless he's God? And so his theology of God now, Darius, his theology of God led to doxology. His understanding of God led to him praising God. And that's what we see, verse 26. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. I mean, those words, you can't say that about anyone apart from God. And perhaps this could be even the greater miracle in this story. Not so much that the lion's mouths were closed, but that Darius' mouth was opened up in praise to the one and only God. And so the terrible predicament was shown to be no predicament at all. God prevailed always, like always, and preserved his own. And that was Daniel's greatest test towards the end of his life. He did not trip over at the end of this marathon, but he ran even faster to pass the finish line. So that's the story of Daniel chapters 1 to 6. Next week from 7 to 12 we'll look at the visions of Daniel which overlap this period. But that's the story of Daniel from teenager to old man. Now when you read this I suspect some of us may be feeling well that's not me. I don't have that courage like Daniel and I can see myself bowing or crumbling to peer pressure when it's so strong. I can see myself remaining silent when it's far easier to remain silent i can see myself changing with the times with the world with the government and some of us may be feeling um no daniel and we're not even talking about lions if there are lines involved i'm gone forget it now how are we meant to think and feel when we consider daniel's life and like I asked you before, as you consider the span of your life, as you reflect on the span of your life. A few weeks ago, when, I, when we started this series on Daniel, uh, one of the oldest members of our church gave me a call. It was a surprising call because each time she calls, or not every time, but many times, she would do as she always have done. And that was, she would sing me a hymn over the phone. And the hymn will be one that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, uh, even from Sunday school days. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. And dare to make it known. Do you know that hymn? Probably shows your age if you do. Now she sang not only the chorus, that was just the chorus, she sang the whole hymn. So I was on the phone for a long time. But is that the lesson today? Dare to be a Daniel. Do you dare to be a Daniel? Do you dare to stand alone? Do you dare to have your purpose firm? Do you dare to make it known? Is that the lesson? Because you see, the toughest test in life is perhaps yet to come. Now, I think that is at least part of the lesson. But I don't think we're able to be like Daniel if we think in our trials in our sufferings, in what it means for me to remain a faithful Christian, if I think that it's just a matter of me finding inner courage and strength, I will fail. I will fail if I rely on myself. In fact, I would fail because I'm a weak person. But you see, for Daniel, he was able to be the way he was because he understood there is a God who rules and reigns. There is the king of the universe, and Darius could not even touch him. The lions, they are nothing. And if you know that God, then it would in fact take sheer courage to stand apart and outside of God. I think it takes far more courage to stand outside of God, to stand alone with God, or to stand with many apart from God. But I think the lesson today and the conviction should go even deeper. You see, there was one, we've already reflected a little bit on this, there is one after Daniel, who experienced something very similar to Daniel, persecuted, but yet persevered and vindicated, preserved by God. There is one after Daniel, the son of God himself, persecuted, grossly mistreated, innocent, but condemned to death, Crucified and sealed in a tomb. And then what happened on that glorious Sunday? He came out alive, vindicated by God. It is that gospel message that even this story of Daniel was looking forward to. It is that gospel message that we dare to be a Daniel for. Rather than seeing Daniel as merely a pattern to follow. We now have a saviour who experienced suffering far worse than Daniel for us. We now have a saviour who, in fact, went into the clutches of death and died for us. We now have a saviour who was raised by God the Father again to show us how God will ultimately preserve all his people. And so if you know that, if we know that what do I care if I have to stand alone because I stand on what my Saviour did what do I care if the world thinks I'm wrong if I stand on what my Saviour did what do I care if I even have to face the Lions because I stand on what my Saviour did my God will preserve my life even if not now ultimately and eternally. The God who protected Daniel, the God who raised his son, is the same God who rules today. Now at the beginning I ask you, what would your life story look like? Remembering, even as old as you are now, our toughest test is perhaps yet to come. Do you dare to be a Daniel? In fact, Do you dare to be a Christian? A Christian who knows the power of God? A Christian who has a saviour in Christ? A Christian who's indwelt by the very power of God, his spirit? A Christian who's unflinching in your faithfulness to God alone? Well, by the grace of God, we must. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, We do praise you for the story of Daniel, for how you preserve your own, for how you make clear to us that life is not meant to be easy. There will be persecution, but we must persevere and we can, for our Saviour went before us and it is on him we stand. So help us, Lord, to be not just like a Daniel, but to be a Christian. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.